When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The long-awaited new novel from author Salman Rushdie, The Golden House, is on sale now. The Golden House is a thrilling, page-turning mystery that is equal parts The Great Gatsby and The Bonfire of the Vanities. It's a modern epic about love, loss, immigration, and reinvention. Buy your copy of The Golden House now, available wherever books are sold. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 227. We're recording on Thursday, September 14th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky here with Jeff O'Neill, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Well, you've been awake, you've been away, but still, we're doing stories about um, young adult. I cannot believe that this is still happening. You know, I don't know much about PR and crisis management and all that stuff, but I will tell you that this is not how it's done. Basically, <laughs> it's kind of it's, it's kind of wild, right? Like it is that this. So we're following up on Lonnie Serum and the Handbook for Mortals, the big conspiracy gaming of mm-hmm. the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, I honestly can't believe this is still a story two weeks later. It's the kind of thing that usually, you know, it happens and then it flames out quickly because it only took 24 hours or less than that for YA Twitter to figure out what had happened and and make it public. But even just this morning, Vox published a story, uh, an explainer, explaining the like complicated twistiness of the bestseller lists and how it works at the New York times versus mm-hmm. how it works at IndieBound versus how it works at USA today. And like, this is a thing that has broken into like broader culture beyond just publishing news. But Lonnie Sarum, the author herself who bought a jillion copies of her book and coordinated a jillion pre-orders so that she could end up on the New York times bestseller list is defending her choice still in Mm -hmm. another Huffington Post um, op-ed. This is from a couple of days ago. It's from the 11th, um, came across my desk yesterday. And the first line of it is my delight and surprise in landing at the top of the New York Times young adult bestseller list a few weeks ago as a first time author was short lived. (laughs) Ain't nothing surprising Mm -hmm. about this, Lonnie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, nothing surprising about this. And she she basically admits that she she sold she says she actually sold the number of copies she bought herself at mm. conventions, which I don't believe that she actually no. sold them and and B that that is not within the spirit of the New York Times bestseller list guidelines that authors cannot buy their books themselves en masse and then resell mm-hmm. them later. Now, she says that there's a maybe it's time for the New York Times bestseller to modernize some of its approaches. I think that is a truth. Like, this isn't a poisoned well situation where because she herself is such kind of a scheming uh, conniver that she doesn't say something that's interesting in the right. middle of all the scheming. I think that is an interesting idea. Like, if you are at a con and you sell a thousand books in addition to the books you sell regular. Should you know how can that be accounted for? I don't care about that question in this particular context. I don't really care about that question at all because, like, 
I don't know. It's it's moving the goalposts, right? It's like, well, I didn't mm-hmm. do anything wrong. The New York Times thing is wrong. Well, let's focus on you knew exactly what you were doing. People called stores to verify what happened. You bought them in just the right number of quantities so it wouldn't be flagged as um, a, uh, bulk. a bulk sale, even though even if you actually bought those sales. You know, she says that she actually sold those books, so she bought them somewhere. But there's no indicate where did she buy them from. If she buys them from her publisher, that doesn't show up on BookScan. That doesn't show up right. on the Times bestseller list. So there's something is still rotten in the state of Denmark here. But <laughs> she she she's claiming both that I didn't gain it's the New York Times bestseller like, list and the bestseller list is gameable at the same time, which is a super right. weird. It is super weird. And the the subhead on this piece is I honestly believe the steps I took are well within the rules. And because she keeps defending this decision, I believe her that that is what she believes. Like oh, I, I think know. she she be- I think she believes that she didn't do anything wrong. Like the very first piece that she wrote defending this was also like I haven't done anything mm-hmm. wrong. Like this is how you can get a book onto the New York Times bestseller list. And so I did that thing. Um, and if this is a one way, like if the way to do it exists and I do the way, then it can't be wrong. And like this is, uh, I have a good friend whose deepest insult of a person is she's not a very nuanced thinker. Mm. And that's, I think what we're seeing here, like either she's completely corrupt and she knows it, but she doesn't think that anyone else can see through it, or she genuinely believes that she's just taking the steps you can take to make the list work for you. And how is that wrong? And I'm honestly kind of not sure which is worse. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I mean, I think this is one of those situations where she, there's no, there are no quote unquote rules here. Like, yes, I guess technically if she did what we think she did, it was within the quote unquote rules like she she gamed the system insofar she wasn't cheating right she wasn't like breaking into the new york times bestseller list computers and like hacking it or something like that it's more like she was counting cards right and mm-hmm. the casino don't let you do that that's not part of what we understand that to be so i think she's kind of trying to exploit this gray area about like this is not the law these aren't right. there aren't rules the, the new york times bestseller list doesn't have like this is one of the problems Amanda and i talked about last week they don't have a transparent set of rules so like we don't know what we make some assumptions and people know and here's what we say and she exploited that nebulous cloud of disinformation or lack of information to say oh, i didn't game it i did stuff that was within the rules like i guess it's technically within the rules to call up and order 29 copies from a barnes and noble you know you can't sell it to you so that they'll register those sales mm-hmm. on the new york times bestseller list but that's sort of beside the point right that that is allowed or within the rules doesn't mean you're actually a bestseller. Like those two things can be true at the same time. It's about, I think the spirit of the intention of the New York times bestseller list or of any bestseller list, which is to indicate reader interest in a title and interest as measured by willingness to pay money Mm -hmm. to read a thing. Like we've talked about how you can't do a similar kind of gaming on box office sales. Like the box office numbers from the opening weekend of a movie are treated as an indication of how interested people are in seeing that movie and not only like baseline interest, but how urgent is it? Like, did they come out for the first weekend to see this thing because they've been waiting for it? And so, right. Like while you might be technically able to buy a bunch of copies of your own book, Mm -hmm. you're taking advantage of that, those, that those nebulous rules. And you basically have found a loophole because your book showing up on the list is supposed to tell people who care about books, Hey, these are the books that other people who care about books 
are caring about lately. These are the books that people are buying. And it doesn't do that if you're the one behind all the purchases. Right. It's kind of like it's kind of like if you take a a, a steroid that's not technically made illegal by major right. league baseball. It's like, well, it was right. it's not illegal, you know, this new um, pig steroid that I invented, you know, but like that's not exactly what we're going for, you know, like right. you, you you're you're going around the rules rather than operating within them and I think I that's enhanced a, a real my performance thing. but in ways that are allowed by this loophole. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, Pig, pig steroids is an early show title. Here, um, let's do our, our next sponsor, The Golden House. So Salman Rushdie, one of the great storytellers of our time, is back with a new novel called The Golden House, written in a style that, it, that only a master like Rushdie can pull off. The Golden House is a contemporary novel about identity, truth, terror, Oxford comma, and lies. I just mentioned Oxford comma there. For those of you who listen to Annotated, you'll, you'll, <laughs> you'll get that. Um, set against the exuberant backdrop of current American culture and politics, ripped from today's headlines, The Golden House is a thrilling story about a real estate tycoon and his mysterious, powerful, corrupt family. <clears throat> <laughs> the Goldens have recently moved uh, into a pocket of New York City and seem to be hiding in plain sight until an aspiring filmmaker decides their family will be the subject of his next subject of his next project. It's overflowing with inventiveness, inventiveness, humor, and a touch of magic. The Golden House is a celebration of human nature, a great American novel, a tale of exile wrapped in a murder mystery, a meditation on the nature of good and evil, a thrilling page-turner, and a coming-of-age story for the ages. You can go buy your copy of The Golden House now, available wherever books are sold in whatever format you want to buy your books in. Thanks to The Golden House by Salman Rushdie for sponsoring this week's show. Gosh, I just can't imagine what the inspiration for that one is. I, I don't know. It's a real mystery. You know, some t- writers, they get their ideas from the most, um, you know, arcane of places. Uh, I dropped this first story into the show because it, it feels, it, it's kind of like at the, at the nexus of several interests of ours, especially mm-hmm. in the p- current moment. Um, Amazon went in and started deleting some of the one-star reviews of Hillary Clinton's new book, What Happened, um, which I think everyone in Book Riot is reading right now. It feels yeah. that way. Like all of their contributors, like <laughs> everyone's is, talking about their feelings and their experience and everything it's else like that. My text thread, Amanda is on vacation this week, and my text thread with her since this book came out a couple of days ago is like 90% references to this book and 10% like what snacks we're eating while we cope with our feelings. Mm-hmm. So they, um, they decided that they basically that some of these reviews are fake. Um, or are not, you know, by, by people who've actually read her book or bought the book. Um, it's, you know, it's an interesting kind of case. It's, it's clearly a case we found. We've talked about stories like this before where citizen reviews, basically, the reviews mm-hmm. rating systems of these big public platforms are a place where people feel like they can damage and frankly can damage the monetary prospects of a title or an author. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's basically that's what happened. Amazon stepped in. I think is a, a, a very tricky position. You know, I've talked about this with Goodreads and Amazon before. It's an impossible spot that Amazon and Goodreads have put themselves in. Um, it's a good problem to have because it's so influential that just the mere whatever reviews at the bottom matter to sales. But you've got to basically then police the whole ocean. Uh, and that becomes very difficult. Yeah, I mean, this is a thing that we know happens, and it happens on Amazon and Goodreads. And recently, we had a story about it happening on Facebook, because you can review businesses on Facebook, where people who don't like 
the author for for a personal reason or people who don't like the business because the business has politics that they disagree with leave negative reviews and like this is first of all is a 512 page book so mm-hmm. if you're leaving a negative re- and there were no galleys of it so nope, zero. and any any reviews left of this thing before September 12th are not legit um and I would contend basically no one is reading it all on one day. So a lot of those like knee jerk reviews and it goes the other direction too. Like I have seen authors encourage people to leave five star reviews of their galleys on Goodreads or of their books that aren't available that are, you know, still pre-publication on Goodreads. Like if you want to support me, you can rate my book on Goodreads when you've never read the book. You're just supposed to do it to support the author mm. to get it's, it's another version of gaming the algorithms. Yeah, like I 100, point. I 100% believe that some of these one star reviews of Hillary's book are just people who don't like her and want to drive the book down. It's also very possible that very early five-star reviews of the book are from supporters who haven't finished it, but who like her and want to game it. It goes in both directions. Um, we didn't, I didn't look because there was so many other pieces of controversy, but with the, um, the book by he who shall not be Mm. named, I'm sure some of this was going on from supporters and detractors in the ratings on Amazon and Goodreads. And I think it's, it is an impossible situation, but I'm happy to see Amazon take steps to try to make those ratings useful to customers because that's what they exist for. And people are going to try to, I guess, zerg them is mm-hmm. the best. It's yep, the best definitely. word that we they're have for it them. now. Yep. Um, people are going to try that. And so if you know that they're going to try it, like this is how you don't have Bodie McBoatface be the name of your boat. You know, this is how you try to help people. <laughs> this is how you try to help people really decide what they want to read or not or which vacuum cleaner to buy like i think a year or so ago there were stats out about like one third of all online product reviews not just books but all online product reviews are fake and that has huge consequences for consumers who rely on those to try to decide what to spend their money on so i'm happy to see them attempting to handle it like if it had been a new book by donald trump that had got a a bunch of one-star reviews from detractors of his, like, hopefully they would have cleaned that up yep. as well to try to make it reflective of what the book is and not just people's feelings about about the person. I'm all for consistency in this. I, I'm glad the, that they're paying attention. I, I think this, of all the bright lines to follow, this was an easy one for Amazon because it's a highly charged book and no copies were released before pub day. Mm-hmm. So that's a pretty easy that's those are that's a pretty easy paint by number to stay within the lines on like just get rid of them all that happened before right. pub day just all of them why, yeah, why, just, why keep the three will start ones for that matter like yeah just that's, get rid that of that seems pretty minimum viable curation right. and of, of with, and Amazon can do a thing that I guess technically they could do at Goodreads now but they're not they, they haven't crossed those lines yet where they can separate verified purchase reviews like people that they know bought the Hillary book from Amazon those reviews can be prioritized over just people showing up at Amazon to rank the book. Yeah. And and I think that's interesting and helpful too. It would be like, and for vacuum cleaners as well, going with that example, like I'm much more interested in the review of a Dyson from someone who just bought one that Amazon can tell me this person actually did buy this thing. Yeah, I I guess, I mean, I have no idea how many people read a library book and then go rate it on Amazon. And still the Goodreads Amazon review crossover mix to me is opaque. I I don't Mm -hmm. really understand. I think... They're pretty separate now, um, but yeah, it does, I think they are. You you get into you get into trouble. Like, do you have to buy a book to be able to rate it on Amazon? That's I, I don't I don't know. It just seems 
you can't one you were given as a gift you can't review it seems odd i mean you can it's just amazon trusts you more if they know it's verified yeah i guess that i mean that's that's the heuristic they have so it's right. their ergo it is the best heuristic except that you know it has its own limitations it's so that's imperfect. interesting yeah uh anyway so there's there's that particular angle um Let's see. Also, a lot of audiobook people for for what happened, as far as I can tell so far. I'd be curious to know if, for whatever reason, there's a higher percentage of people reading audiobooks for Mm. that or not. Yeah, I can tell you. Yeah, Amanda's listening to it on audio and said she basically started crying as soon as Hillary mm. started talking. Um, and I'm reading it in print partially because I'll get through a print book a lot faster than audio, but also like I'm crying anyway. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that I could drive around listening to it. Um, for whatever my opinion on this book is worth, I think it's terrific. She's really open. Um, there are, a, a, this is like the side of Hillary that people who have followed her career and admired her for a long time have been wanting to see. It's mm. also a side of her that I think if we had seen it before the election, I'm not sure would have made any difference because she did win the popular vote by more than 3 million. Um and she reminds us of that several times <laughs> as well. Um, but it's, you know, she writes about, the role that sexism played in the election and the role that misogyny played in the election. And so I'm not sure that people seeing a more personal side of her would have made any difference. She still would have been a woman in an election running against Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I think it would have been, it's an interesting thought experiment, what the world looks like if this version of Hillary Clinton is known, mm-hmm. um, but also how much of this, vulnerability she could have shown and still been a, you know, been the toughness that you need to have as a candidate is also an, an open question. Um, but just, you know, I think it's great so far. I'm about to, well, like almost halfway in, um, almost halfway done with it. And if you are into Brene Brown, she had a new book out this week too. And the Brene and the Hillary speak to each other in really interesting ways. So yeah, I'm listening to the new Brene Brown right now. And I actually don't remember what it's called. Cause I just got it on audible and just downloaded it. And it's like, it looks the it's same. Called, it has like um, the same cover design as daring greatly. So I'm like, yeah, it's, it's called the braving new, the wilderness. Yeah, there you go. Uh, what's that? I think I once saw that as a joke, like just the title of a book by an author like that, like Dan Brown should be called the new Dan Brown. Book. <laughs> yes, for real. James this Patterson is the new should one. definitely do that. Well, that's kind of what they are, right? It's James Patterson <laughs> with X writing ghost in the rifle machine or whatever, right, like whatever right. insert mad ghost in the Patterson. rifle machine. <laughs> Yeah, Ghost and Rifle Machine. Um, this is a one. I, I'm excited about this. This one came. This is one of those like r- gems that Twitter gives you from time to time because I didn't know this movie exists. It probably won't play anywhere close to me right now. But when it comes out on Netflix or somewhere else, I'm definitely going, going to watch this. It's a mo- new movie called documentary called Ex Libris, and it's a documentary about the New York Public Library. And the documentary filmmaker is this 86 year old Frederick Wiseman who has made 44 documentaries, and he has this particular style, which what he does is he basically finds an institution um, or a location or something like that and just sets up cameras and lets them roll for like a long time, multiple days, weeks, maybe even months, and then goes back and see what he has and cuts together a documentary about that place from the footage. So it's kind of like found footage Hmm. in, in a way where he doesn't, have a story or really necessarily a sense of what the the structure of the film is going to be until you actually see what you get. Um, but this one is about the New York Public Library as a cultural institution, one that's changing, um, also about the people of the city of New York and who's coming in there. Um, 
the, the, the one that I saw a while ago that was revelatory was called Domestic Violence, and it was set in shelters for battered women. Oh, wow. Um, and it was super powerful. There was also another really famous one that I haven't seen um, that was Boxing Gym set in, you know, uh, a gym for young aspiring boxers, which you can also imagine is an interesting thing, too. All, all, all of these are pretty, all the ones I've seen of his are, are interesting. Um, but this one for for the uh, listeners of this show, I think, is particularly interesting. If you're in New York, it's playing now at the Film Forum. I don't know if it's opening wide other places anytime soon. I'm not sure. But for you library lovers out there, documentary film lovers, movie lovers, I think this is one to watch. I got a great review from Matt Zoller-Zeist at RogerEbert.com, and he's a critic I follow on Twitter, and always he always has interesting things to say. So anyway, that's cool. That's that's what we're here for. New cool that we're talking cool. about, right? That's one. Yep. That makes it in there. Okay, man, Booker shortlist. Um, I don't know. This is a sort of like womp womp trombone for me here. Um, I didn't get you were out. I think when this dropped, still, so I mm-hmm. didn't see your reaction. Um, you want to tell me what you think, or do you have yeah, things to think about this? It seems kind of snoozy. Yeah, like it's the man Booker is, but ostensibly the most prestigious book uh, award that a single book can mm-hmm. win, and. I mean, I see Exit West here by Mohsin Hamid, and that was a huge title this year and very good. And there's Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. Um, The new Paul Auster is on here. History of Wolves by Emily Friedland is the most, I think, surprising Mm -hmm. selection. But it's just not, I don't know, nothing about this blows my skirt up. It's like, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But I kind of, I always feel this way about the Man Booker Prize. Like every year I'm like, we should talk about the Man Booker shortlist on the show because that's news. And then every year I'm like, meh. (laughs) Yeah, so it's um, 4321 by Paul Oster, History of Wolves by Emily Friedland, Exit West by Mosin Ahmed, Elmet by Fiona Mosley, Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, and Autumn by Ali Smith. Um, Three Americans... Well, is that right? No, two Americans. Uh, uh, no, Saunders, Friedland, mm-hmm. and Oster. They're all Americans. So um, that's interesting. I guess, you know, in terms of omissions, I am surprised that the Underground Railroad didn't make the final cut. Um, that was one I would have guessed would have. Uh, but, you know, they want different things than I do. Um, oh, was it in the... It was on the long list, Yeah. And oh, it the, was in the long list? Okay. The, the time new, frames for these are so they're weird. They're so weird. Yeah, I know. Because that, that book now feels like it came out 10,000 years ago because we've been talking about it so long. Like, same with the Saunders, frankly. They came, yeah. out, of, they came out in January. Um, but, yeah. So, that's the list. I don't know. Like, I've only read... I've read History of Wolves and Exit West on this list. And I have Lincoln and Bardo on my nightstand. I just, for whatever reason, haven't gotten around to reading it. Um, I guess I'll be pulling for Exit West. I, I really liked Exit West. I thought mm-hmm. it was really cool and short. It was... I don't know. I guess what I want from a book like from one of these kinds of books is I want something that's like meteor and exit West is a bit of a fable, right? It's kind of slight mm-hmm. and fable like, which is cool. Um, but I don't know that that doesn't strike for, for my particular taste. I'm looking something like that has a little bit more, I don't yeah. know, groundedness I think, in it, I guess is what I'm Yeah. Wondering. I think history of wolves is the underdog on this list and I'm going to be pulling for it because it's interesting and different uh, parts of it. And then Liberty talked about it. Like I had started it and then Liberty talked about it on all the books. And this is the thing that happens. Like if she's Mm going to talk about a book, sometimes I don't finish it, but I really liked what I read and it's just different from the rest of this field. Yeah. I was bored to tears, but that's a separate, (laughs) separate, separate issue. (laughs) 
It's fine. All these things I mean, happen. people like different things. Like, that's yeah. not, it doesn't mean it's good or bad, just what my experience of it was. Uh, so we'll see. Um, I appreciate the candor. No, I mean, you know, I don't usually talk about books I don't like. I'm, I fall into Liberty's camp, you know, like yeah. that's kind of her MO. And, but, you know, it's hard. It's hard for me to have read it. Said I have read it, and you say that, and then me to be quiet. It's kind of like it kind of feels like weasel, weasel silence to not, Let to it not all actually out. say what I. This think is about. a safe space for yeah, you. Yeah, it's all right. You know, there's some. You know, We're among I don't like books. Um, it wasn't offensive. Just, just not yeah. for me. Uh, so let's do that. All right. So this okay, is, speaking, is, it kind of, is this kind of an ad? I mean, we, we're going to do a little segment. I mean, it's kind of an I ad, kind of fun. We're going to, you know, you know, speaking of being candid. This is advertorial. Uh, this is advertorial, but I think it, it's an announcement. Yeah, it's, right. Um, I'm really excited about this because the next sponsorship spot comes to you from us and our friends at Abrams Notary. We have a new card game, basically, that's out. It's called Lit Chat. Um, you can pre-order it now um, through the link in the show notes or go to bookriot.com slash lit chat. It will be coming out on October 3rd, which is Book Riot's sixth anniversary. Yay. Um, which just happened. It just happened that way. Mm. But um, this is our first like real physical product that we made with a publishing partner because mm-hmm. um, we made the start here books early on in Book Riot's life, but we self-published those. And uh, when this came in the mail, like I had been working on this for so long and then I sent it away and then they manufactured it. And when it came in the mail and I opened it, like held a thing in my hands that said made by Book Riot, I was like, oh. Um, so we hope you guys will be excited about it too. Um, we made Lit Chat because we know that the only thing that readers like as much as reading books is talking about books with other readers. Um, that's why Book Riot exists as well. And so the questions on the Lit Chat cards invite you to explore your individual reading habits and your experiences and also to imagine yourself through the lenses of different characters and stories. Um, I think this is great for answering with your book club, your best friends, your family, if you're a teacher, um, to do this with your class, uh, your classmates or your students. Um, would be great in a library setting. And we hope that they'll shed new light on your reading life and also bring you closer to your fellow book lovers. Um, So Lit Chat, the deck includes 50 cards. They are die cut in the shape of book covers. They kind of look like old Penguin classics with a little funky twist. And they come in a portable slipcase box that is great for displaying or for taking, you know, for carrying around with you. Road trip. To play. That's what I'm saying, road trip. Yes, yes. Select a card at random, read the question aloud to the group, go around the room and people answer it, and then you can proceed to the follow-ups. And there are four categories. There's the reader's way, which is questions about your reading habits, memoirs of a book lover, which are questions for sharing book-related memories and milestones. There's op-ed, which are questions to tease out all your literary opinions, favorites, and your least favorites. And then there's choose-your-own-adventure, which are questions that ask you to choose books and characters for hypothetical situations. So I thought the best way to illustrate this would be for us to illustrate it, Jeff. So I pulled some cards and I'm gonna I'm gonna Can you hear are you my ready? knuckles cracking? I'm yeah. cracking my knuckles. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. So in the op ed section, this card says you're at the home of a romantic interest. What book would you love to see on their nightstand? Well let's see. So I'm hoping for what? I'm hoping that they're you know I, I guess what I'm looking for is Contraindications of deal breakers, right? Is that mm-hmm. what I'm looking for? Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking if I'm looking for, um, you know, maybe what happened by Hillary Clinton's not a bad answer. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Right. Uh huh. I think that's what I'm looking for. I I I, I got to clear that hoop. 
I, I can't, I can't forget about Art of the Deal. That can't be on there for sure. But I, I you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind a positive indicator that we're on the same wavelength, sort of mm-hmm. politically, and all that stands for. How's that for? An yeah, answer? I think that's a good answer. Yeah, deal breakers are so much easier to come up with. Yes, that the what are you looking for? Mm-hmm. I was thinking about um, tiny beautiful things. Oh, that's a good one. Or I mean, if I go home with you and you have Brene Brown on your nightstand, like the deal is sealed. Yeah, right. Um, that's a good one. Like okay. maybe like you have like. Um, You've got you've got that there. You've got uh, uh, Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. Mm-hmm. You got Dan. I mean, I guess. Do you want your favorite books all there? I mean, I, I don't know. Oh, do you want some of the yeah. same? Yeah. Well, and see, taste? some are I think more indicative. Like if you if you're at the home of a romantic interest and they have Dan Brown on their nightstand, like right. you know that they're fun, maybe, but you don't know much else about them. Regression to the so, mean, just because there's so many copies of Dan right, Brown out there. Yeah. Right. What does this tell me? I don't know what it mm-hmm. tells me. Right. Um, all right. You want to do another one? Yeah, let's do another one. Uh, let's see. What are you reading right now? And based on how far you are at this moment, would you recommend it? Well, I just said I'm listening to Brene Brown. I just finished, what did I just finish? Uh, the Book of Joan. Um, by Lydia, and I can never say her last name, Yuknovich, something like yes, that? Yes, yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was it? So that's what, what would I recommend it? Mm-hmm. Based on how far uh, you are, or you just finished I it? I just so. finished it last night. Man, it was, it was a, did you read it? It mm-hmm. is a strange book. Interesting. Uh, I, I, it, it will take me 10,000 years to, 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 would I recommend it to whom, you know, this is a personal thing. I think it would not be a Swiss Army recommendation. I need to know ah, something that's more. Fair. It's yeah. dystopia, spec fic, retelling of Joan of Arc, but with tattoos and body modification. Like, yeah, I know it sounds like I'm just saying I've, I've gone into a fugue <laughs> state, but that's really what it is. Um, I think I would need to know something about the, <laughs> the, per- <laughs> the person. <laughs> like, if you like something a little bit different and you don't mind a little gross out, like... Yeah, uh, it was good, but it was odd. So there, that's okay. what I would say. Yeah, I'm in the middle of the Hillary Clinton book, mm. and I would recommend that. I just finished Afterglow by Eileen Miles, ah. which is a memoir about her dog, the pit bull that she adopted mm-hmm. off the street when it was a puppy, and then the 16 years of life that they shared together, oh, and then Jesus. the end of the dog's life. Like I, I 100% cried talking about it on all yeah. the books this week. I would recommend it to anybody who loves the animals in their life um, mm-hmm. and is not afraid of a five-alarm snot bomb. But it is a five-alarm snot bomb. <laughs> like, just It might be a six-alarm snot bomb. Are there bomb. questions like, I will about invent... snot bombs in Lit Chat? Are there snot <laughs> there bomb-related should... content? <laughs> oh, there should be. Yeah. Next to Abrams... Lit Chat 2. Yeah, Lit Chat 2 is when we'll uh, mm-hmm. bust out the all the book riot yeah. terminology. <laughs> What is the biggest snot bomb of a book biggest you've ever bomb. read? Yeah, um, I would be happy to hear that if you want to answer that question for us on Twitter. Well, uh, yeah, you, please okay. let us know. Hashtag five alarm snot bomb. We'll <laughs> All credit to your lovely partner, Michelle, for, for the five yeah, alarm that, snot bomb. That may be her great contribution to culture <laughs> is the snot bomb. Because I've, you know, people, insiders refer to it. I get emails. Oh, yeah. um, when I check the emails for the show, uh-huh. like people refer to it. I get tweets about like, this. can I read this book in public yeah. or will it be a snot bomb? What is the biggest snot bomb you've ever read? Oh, well, 
I do better with mm. snot bombs pr- in private. Like I will cry less for some reason. If I'm reading something really emotional and I'm in public, I feel like emotionally compromised mm-hmm. by being around. Yeah. By being around other people. Mm-hmm. And so like the, my worst public reading snot bomb moment was I finished the things they carried on oh, a plane yeah. and it was a ter- like, I had no idea. We've seen those stories about planes too. Like, like people cry more readily at movies on a plane for a bunch of mm-hmm. weird reasons related yeah, to air of, pressure and some right, other psychological yeah. phenomena. And, going on. Right. There's and like you you feel anonymous even mm-hmm. though you're in this place with all these strangers and yeah it that was that was at least a decade ago and it still feels very present mm-hmm. to me of like sitting on that plane and just I just had tears streaming down my face. Yeah, hmm. a good one. I don't know what mine would be. I, I have to think about it. Um, I'm not really sure. There's, right. a, I don't think I, I don't openly weep while reading. Like I get choked up and almost mm-hmm. die of asphyxiation, but I'm not like there's not like tears. If I'm yeah. just dead on the floor with a book in my hand, it knows because like my throat constricted and I'm <laughs> so sad that it, my throat killed me. Oh, I just get it's just the silent like just the silent waterfall. Yeah. <laughs> um, last one. Your favorite fictional character suddenly appears at your door. Who is it, and what book would you share to acquaint them with this new world they find themselves in? Oh, that's a good question. My favorite literary character. Well, so I've got multiple choices I have to make here. That's very difficult. That's Mm -hmm. a good question. Um, On the fly, I'm going with, well, let's go with Gilead. Reverend Ames shows up at Mm -hmm. my door. Yep. Um, And I'm trying to equate him with the world we live in now. That's what I'm trying to do. Yep. Hmm. That's tricky. Really tricky. I think I'm going with... Hmm. So I'm trying to think. What is even the timeline? So he would have died in like the... 30s i can't i can't even remember like what what era so like i need i need him post uh i need you know maybe i need people's history of the united states that seems like too broad um something about technology i guess oh like mm-hmm. that's something like they had maybe telephones down at the police station so i need something about technology um hmm. tricky what have I read recently? You know, I just read this book that I really liked, and it was it's called 50 Inventions That Shaped the Modern Economy by Tim Horford. And uh. a lot of it's really interesting about, like, the unintended effects of technological change. So he'd be introduced to, say, air conditioning and the Internet and a whole bo- Oh, you know what? Maybe The Innovators by Walter Isaacson, which is a history of the go. computer. Um, and everything that went into it. So, like, that's that's your crash course, uh, mm-hmm. The Innovators by Walter Isaacson. Or, like, what's, uh, what's How answer? We Got to Now by Stephen Johnson. Go ahead. That would be a good one. Oh, I don't know. I thought you had to answer I, this. You said that uh, you were going to answer it, too. That's I know, not fair. You're stuck. sandbagging on me. I'm, no, no, I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I, oh, man. I read such, like... I mean, you have probably had this problem too, but I read such like dark, heavy fiction mm. that I don't often get attached to characters yeah, in that I don't way. Yeah, either, I guess. Um, but well, I okay, do... Okay, here you go. Okay, I okay, do I, got, oh, I was going to say, love... Robert Langdon. You got to recommend a book for Robert <laughs> Langdon. 
Yes. I was going to try to pick a book for Sula, and I was just like, I am unequal that, that, to this that, that, That's a high... You need some time. You need, you need a glass of wine, light some candles. You, you can't just do that right yeah, away. Hold a whole, like, a seance and channel the spirits. What am I recommending to Robert Langdon? Okay, well, he has symbology and puzzle assembly and crime fighting skills. You, you know, I feel... He, he, he doesn't seem like the most woke guy in the world. Yeah, I think we need to, he we does need to not. Go that way. I mean, I not, think, not, right. not, not, not bad, but just not, you know, he's not right. I No, no, no. I think so. I think Robert Langdon needs... Oh... <laughs> Maybe Shrill by Lindy West. Oh, that's good. That's a really Something good Something really funny and mm. feminist, and then he can stop kissing the, oh, uh, yeah. the, cu- the nice women with cute ponytails mm-hmm. who end up as his sidekicks. Yeah, um, yeah maybe Shrill and... Ooh, the fire this time. Because then you get a bunch of voices about yeah. the current state. Mm-hmm. I feel like Robert Langdon is probably more woke about race than he is about gender. Yeah. Um, but Maybe bad feminist, of, not a bad one. Oh yeah, bad feminist. Any mm-hmm. any of those, and then he could probably also do with reading some technology stuff because dude is still wearing a Mickey Mouse watch. Yeah, and there's some dated stuff too, like in the Da Vinci Code where he grabs some kid's phone to Google. It's like get get yourself a get yourself right. a cell phone. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Thank you for saving me from trying to recommend a book for Sula. No, see, you gotta you gotta watch out. You gotta protect yourself. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep your hands up. We're also only a couple weeks away now from the new Dan Brown book. I know. That'll be, it comes out on a Tuesday, October 3rd, Mm. and we'll record a show later that week, and there will be Dan Brown talk. There will be Dan Brown. So that's Lit Chat. Anything else to say about Lit Chat? No, yeah, that's that's Lit Chat. You can see how easy it is to digress from the prompt questions (laughs) into just talking about books, um, which makes it feel like a success to me. But you can again check out bookriot.com slash Lit Chat or click the link in your show notes uh, right there on your phone or whatever device you're using to listen because you Mm -hmm. have one and you're not Robert Langdon. and let us know how you like it, and uh, you'll get it in October. Um, let us know who you're using it with and what other questions you would like to see in a second <laughs> version of them, because Five Alarm Snot Bomb is definitely happening. Um, yeah, I'm excited about it. Hope you guys will like it, and thanks for letting us have a little getting-to-know-you moment. Um, because the universe hates me, um, oh, no. news dropped this week about five new previously unpublished <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut Stories I was going to ask coming. if this ranked on talk about it or not. Mm. You know, and I've gotten a lot of heat for uh, my uh, my insistence about you know what to do with post posthumous uh, works or you know mm-hmm. publication or things that weren't published in the author's lifetime. Um, this is a collection uh, of ninety seven short stories, uh, including five that were previously unreleased. So I'm guessing they're very short short stories. Um, edited by longtime Vonnegut sco- scholars Jerome Klinkowitz and Dan Wakefield and the forward from Dave Eggers. The complete stories will be published September 26th through an indie imprint, Seven Stories Press, which Interesting. I'm really surprised by. I, I don't really understand that. Yeah. But. What imprint is it that has those, you know, like the neon-colored covers of the Vonnegut well, novels I don't that know. all look that's the good, same? I think that's vintage. And I think, and but then Open Road has the digital backlist rights because they put go on sale all the time. Like if you buy Vonnegut eBooks full price, you, you you've been had. So just because they go on sale all the time, but I I'm just so surprised that again Seven Stories Press is a good press, but I would have thought that 
uh, a bigger publisher would have um, swung the hammer and, and tried to get this for themselves. I don't know. Yeah, there's been really there's weird. there's some documentation. I haven't researched it extensively. That these are things you know Vonnegut didn't want stuff published in after he was mm. um, gone, and so people have been saying, "Well, see, this is what happens. You say you don't want to publish, and people publish anyway if you don't destroy." It's like, yeah, I, I totally get that, and that's a bummer. Um, the answer to that, like people have been saying, well, if you don't destroy it, then it could be published in the way you don't want to. Just look what happened to Harper Lee. Totally valid argument, except this is not a binary condition where it's leave it to an estate that you don't control. You know, some people like James Michener and other people, you leave it to a university with an explicit directive, right? You know, or do like what Mark mm-hmm. Twain did and said, okay, I w- I'm going to write this book, but you can't publish it for a hundred years. Um, so it's it's not all you either get rid of it all or it has to be published in a way you wouldn't have liked. There are other ways around this, but I, I do have to admit that there are situations where if you don't destroy it, things could get used in a way that you don't want. You, know, you got to be a little more careful of, uh, about this particular thing. But, you know, I don't know, news stories. Like the Atlantic made a big deal out of one of the stories they had called the drone effect or something like that, and they did a big animation, which was kind of cool. It's like, I guess... I don't know what you think about this, but like Vonnegut's a, 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 a Titanic figure, but were, are people so excited about a Kurt Vonnegut short story that it warranted all that? I just, I guess I'm surprised. I just don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I have a hard time measuring actual yeah. excitement yeah, versus... Yeah, we're in this weird reality distortion field. Right, yeah. versus like publishers trying to generate excitement by making a thing look like a big deal. And I... I don't know. I just don't know. Um, it's. I think the most interesting thing about this Vonnegut collection to me is what you were talking about mm. at the top of the segment, that it's coming out from this small indie press. Like I would like to know the backstory there. Um, that's very interesting to me. And just my personal bias, I'm not a huge Vonnegut fan, so this feels a lot less urgent to me than like, if 30 years in the future, someone was like, we found a Toni Morrison novel that hasn't been published. Yeah, I mean, and there is a difference between a whole novel and a short story, right? Like, that just right. if it was a full, complete Vonnegut novel, that's a different deal. That is but a like, totally different deal. But there just aren't that many, I don't know, there aren't that many, you know, because we get a Fitzgerald, you know, we, we've talked about on the show, like we get a, a lost Fitzgerald story from time to time or a Bronte letter or whatever, to the point now where like I need to be I needed to be ghost at a watchman for me to sit right. up and, and take notice. Um, you know the 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 disaster of the marketing and packaging that aside, like that's the kind of thing it has to sort of be right. Like I need another Shakespeare mm-hmm. play. I, I mean, I, I really have to get something that uh, earthquake type document. But anyway, I, I thought it was interesting, especially since the universe was clearly um, putting the screws to me about my personal opinion. <laughs> yeah, you really have taken a lot of taken heat a lot of heat. That. People don't like it. But you know what? You know, it's sometimes we're not appreciated in our own time. Um Kirkus, <laughs> oh, you, you, you want to do Kirkus? Uh, you want to talk about this? Yeah, let's quick? talk let's, about yeah, Kirkus. Tell um, me about the Kirkus. So a year or so ago, Kirkus became the first big literary publication to start mentioning the race of all of the main characters in a book rather than like the default previously had been only to call out race when the character wasn't white, which just reinforces the default assumption that characters in books are white unless indicated otherwise. Um, So they started doing that a year or so ago, and now they have broken out 
um, collections. You can go to kirkusreviews.com slash diversity, and they've broken out collections of the books that they've reviewed by the identification. Um, So the featured ones that you can sort through on the menu are Black, Latina, Asian, Middle Eastern, First or Native Nations, Multiracial, Religion, LGBTQ, and Disability. So you can click to see like what are the books featuring disability um, characters with um, who identify as disabled that Kirkus has reviewed. And so like Akata Warrior is one that uh, shows up here. There's um, Romancing the Dark in the City of Light, Golden Boy. Then you can click to get more information. And this seems very useful if you are specifically mm. looking for, um, you know, for diverse books. Um, the, of course, Kirkus is intended uh, as reviews. I think they primarily face what librarians and educators, but it has become sort of a thing that people in publishing look at. Um, and it's just fascinating to yeah, see Kirkus what does, they've done here. It does seem to be um, educators, librarians, I think, especially because they, they do such a high volume um, mm-hmm. of, of reviews. You do see it, though, used in marketing materials as well. Like you'll see a blurb. If it gets a star from Kirkus, it'll appear on the back of a cover or, you know, an ad or something like that. Um, this is, seems like a really useful um, tool that is difficult on your own to curate just because sometimes the, the information isn't readily available. If, if the author doesn't have a web page or isn't known or, you know, people may not present as a way that you understand how they're self-identifying. So I think it's a really interesting idea in one of those situations where people are actively looking for books like this um, from these kinds of authors and why not give them, you know, uh, mm-hmm. a tool to do it. Um, a real sign too, I think, too. Adam Silvera was, was mentioning on Twitter his new book, I can't remember what it's called, frankly. Um, came out. They this, both die at the end. They both end. die at the end. Spoiler alert. Uh, is um, it, It's d- debuting at number five on the New York Times bestseller list for a young adult, which, again, all caveats, all caveats <laughs> uh, noted. Um, but he was saying, you know, how, what a different world it feels like for him as a, as a gay man writing about gay characters and their stories that it was even just a few years ago where he couldn't, you know, he could not find a publisher for his first book five or six years ago. And then several other authors were chiming in. It's like, yeah, it's like, we're not, we're not at the promised land yet, but it does feel like the worm has turned to some degree. And this is another indication of the mainstreaming of, I, I, you know, put it under the huge rubric of we need diverse books. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're a specific organization, but if we call the whole, you know, push and attention around marginalized authors and representations, then this is another sign that, progress is being made and you know sometimes these things grind to a halt once there are overt signs like this um but uh, i hope this is an indication of a continuance not an end point um really interesting stuff uh, good job kirkus yeah that feels like a this is a moment to mark of progress yeah, for sure right it becomes a, an, a tool on an institutional big company's website where this is a way of you know organizing it um and right. something they're paying and attention to yeah, and hopefully it becomes something then that people can ask for elsewhere. Like Kirkus did it, so mm-hmm. where is Publishers Week? Publisher Publishers Weekly? Pub, yeah, yeah, Publishers Weekly. Where's P, yeah, where is PW's mm-hmm. um, indication of character diversity um, and you know other big publications? It would be really great to see them follow suit. Yeah. Um, let's see. Do we have anything else you want to hit before we call can, it a day? Well, we got to do our last sponsor. Oh right. Oh, actually, I see a couple of stories below that. 
yeah. And so, then I need to rant about a thing briefly. Yes, I saw. I know what this is. That's what I was saying. We got to do that. Yeah. Tell me, tell me about our last sponsor. Our last sponsor this week is The Book of Separation by Tova Mirvis. It's coming out in hardcover and ebook from Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. This is a memoir. Um, born and raised in a tight knit Orthodox Jewish community, Tova Mirvis committed herself to observing the rules and the rituals that were prescribed by that way of life. Um, she married a man from within the fold. They began a family. But when she was 45, she decided to leave her husband and her faith. And this is a memoir about that, um, about what it means to free the part of yourself that has been suppressed, even if it means walking away from the only life you've ever known. It's really honest and courageous look. Um, Tova shows us how she learns to silence her own fears and find her path to happiness. This is going to explore, obviously, religion and community, but also marriage, motherhood, freedom, how you define home. It will resonate with readers who are assessing their roles within family, faith, career, and community. It's highly acclaimed prior to its publication. There's going to be a reading and discussion guide available for the book as well. This would be probably very fertile ground for a book club discussion. And um, I'm really, really looking forward to reading this. Again, it's The Book of Separation by Tova Mirvis. This is one of your um, preferred subgenres. I, you know, you might call it, it the, is. E- the ex-cultus, right? Out of the, the cult, uh, losing out of the, the, uh, out of the right, faith, the, out of the, the losing my religion memoir yes, right. is a thing yeah. that I love. Um, I think I'm, I either wrote a piece about I it for Book Ride about did. losing yeah. my religion memoirs like years ago. Um, when we were doing the genre kryptonite theme or it's just come up enough <laughs> in things but I that's how I think of them is losing my religion stories. Okay, so this okay, is clear the dance first, floor. Clear the floor. Clear the floor. It's first from the department of makes your brain make the Scooby-Doo like mm-hmm. noise and then also just things that are wrong. Um, there's going to be a film version of, of the novel Stoner, which is fantastic. But the bad news is that Casey Affleck has been cast in it to play the lead role. And I just like if you had given me a million guesses about who would get cast to play the main character in Stoner, Mr. Stoner, I would never have gotten to Casey Affleck. It's this is just a terrible plan. Well, yeah. I mean, Stoner, <laughs> I mean, talk about an annotated episode, right? Like the, mm, the, right. the, the, the every couple years it becomes popular the, again. The it's the like a cult hit that's not a cult hit. I know, like the cult, I don't even know the cult gravity waves that emanates from Stoner with some regularity. I don't understand. It, it, hey, it's a really good book. Both you and I really like it. Mm-hmm. But why Why this book? That, and also, it's, it's a weird book to choose for a movie. Like, it presents a character's almost entire lifetime. It begins when he goes off to college, mm-hmm. but at the university. He's in Columbia, Missouri, yes, right? Yes, University like of Missouri. Deeply Midwestern. Mm-hmm. He's 18 when it starts, and we see him up through several decades. Yeah. Of his life. Like, it's a fascinating book, but it's very quiet. Not a whole heck of a lot happens. Um, So thinking about what kind of film that makes is interesting too. But I always picture Stoner, since the book ends when he's old, I picture him as older in my mind and played by James Cromwell (laughs) from from Mm. Babe, like this tall, thin, you know, almost kind of like, yeah. Like well, I think the problem is you've got what I don't remember what it's called in um in Thinking Fast and Slow where you're remembering the end and it's coloring mm-hmm. your view of the whole it's book because a lot of recency bias. You, you have yeah, I guess it's recency bias, right? Um you have to cast someone that can play you could you could make younger looking and right. older looking, right? So you need someone like 
Affleck and ter- this this Affleck who's forty mm-hmm. well, sure, yeah. right? I can, that's kind of I in the can, right. I'm there with like cast yeah. somebody middle aged that you can dress down or dress up for the older character. But I just and and, and the other problem I guess we haven't said is that Aff- he he seems like he might be a scumbag, right? That's kind of what right. we think about Casey Affleck. Like, isn't that what the, yeah, the predominant yes. wisdom is? And that he's just not- moreover, like this is just not how I picture. Yeah. This character and maybe, okay, so kind of in the same shape as James Cromwell, but younger. Like, what about Adrian Brody? Adrian Brody. He's very, he has that tall, like. Why is he tall? Remind me why he's tall again. Just that's how you imagined him. I think that's how he's described. And the the cover of the book, the guy is really tall. Mm. Like that drawing of him on the cover of the NYRB edition. Yes, lanky. lanky. Lanky is the word that I was looking for. Like, you need, like. Stoner definitely skips leg day and arm day. Mm-hmm. He skips all the days. Like he's not, <laughs> he's not like a strapping young man at all. And Casey Affleck has a little bit of that, like a little bit of that look to him, but also just, it's just wrong. Like that. I, I feel like that's, that should be sufficient. I don't know that Casey Affleck rises to the level of problematic fave for me, especially knowing, I, I mean, I like Casey Affleck. I thought, um, I, I've re- he's an interesting actor to watch when he's not saying anything, which I think is, might be important for this kind of a movie. Where, mm, yeah, he, just, he does give he's, good face. He's got, gives good face and he's kind of always kind of, he looks like he's thinking a lot of mm-hmm. the time, even if he's just um, scheming to like hit on somebody, apparently that's what he does. But um, you know, <laughs> that's that's the thing that's interesting. I, I was watching a documentary or, um, a, or listening to a director's commentary of a movie one time, and I don't know anything about movie making, so anything any director says I find fascinating because I don't know the art at all. It's like acting while thinking is really hard to do. It says other, it looks like you're either staring or you are overacting with your eyebrows. Like that's what people do when they mm. act. And so people that look interesting while they're not doing anything is, you know, that's what he called a star quality, um, this particular that, director. That is interesting. Which is interesting. I think you know, Affleck has that that factor. Say, um, yeah, I think that's that's interesting. Like I think Justin Theroux is far too muscly for this character, but he yeah. gives very good face as well. Um right. Who else? I, I don't mean, know. Let's... The one for me, but like this is what you want for all is Joaquin Phoenix. Like that's the one. Right. I was you, just gonna yeah. say, like when we a couple of years ago we did together a fan like dream casting of the Gilead movie. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and and we wanted Joaquin Phoenix right. for right. right. Um now I'm blanking on that character's name. Uh, Botten. Yes, Botten. for for Jack Botten, Jack Botten. for Young Botten. Right. Um it, it's that same quality. Like he he would be really interesting. Yeah, watch, it's in, but, and also like this is Missouri, like and it's it's he's a dirt poor farmer that becomes an academic, so a working class, and like Affleck has that Boston sort of working yeah. class vibe. I but think I, maybe I Midwest, want like I want a Brad Pitt ten years like, ago. Missouri is yeah. south. I mean, sorry, like right. it is. Like what, that's why Joaquin Phoenix is interesting, and maybe it's, I'm just being colored by um, by. I mean, basically, this is a movie like if Johnny Cash had become a, an academic rather than a, uh, a musician, <laughs> that's Stoner. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> It is. That is ge- it is. It is. So that's, <laughs> that's why genius. that's why Joaquin should, Phoenix is is the right. Uh, <laughs> they should put that on the cover. Right. Um, <laughs> what if yeah, Johnny Cash I, got into poetry? Like there's, <laughs> that was me being Sean Connery. In a world apparently. where, <laughs> yeah, right. In a world where Johnny Cash does close readings of sonnets, <laughs> Stoner, starring Casey Aff. No, that's, that's no. Yeah, I th- I think I also would have taken like Brad Pitt ten years ago. Mm. Um, Mm-hmm. For this yeah. role, 
But Casey Affleck, I'm I'm willing to be proven wrong. Pitt's I too will good see looking, this. Though. That's a problem, though. That's another problem with Pitt. Yeah, too good that's looking. true. Casey Affleck is. Yeah, you need to be a little yeah. flawed. You need to look um, like you're the younger brother of someone really famous. <laughs> that's what you, you kind of do. <laughs> it's a weird. It's weird. That's why I kind of. I mean, again, I wish. Again, I wish all people weren't douchebags, but especially I wish Casey Affleck wasn't a douchebag because I like watching him <laughs> on camera. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, no, not quite right. Mm, No, a little too twitchy. Mark Ruffalo is like a little too twitchy for this. You gotta, uh, this Stoner is the strong silent type. He's like, his name is Stoner. He can't be moving around all the time. He is the strong silent type. And like that, it's Mm. definitely, this book is definitely, you know, still waters run deep. Um, Yes. So somebody who could play that. I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. I want to hear about fan casting. Lee Pace is from Oklahoma, but he's too good looking. John He's way too too good looking. looking. They're all too good looking. looking. It's, it's, that's tricky. tricky, Oh, speaking of Lee Pace, when Halt and Catch Fire finishes, we should do a series finale catch up after Are you watching in real time, Michelle? I decided to wait till they're all done. And, and oh, I am watching in real time. It's good. So far, so it's good. good. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that. They're trying to basically make Google in this season. Uh, they like don't that. know it yet. They I don't know that like that's that. what they're doing, but that's what they're doing. That. It's great. And now we're deeply into our own yeah, wheelhouse. Yeah, let's get out of here. So we should probably We've got to crawl out of our own wheelhouse into the, into the light <laughs> above. That's our show. Um, thank you to the Book of Separation, the Golden House, um, and our own Lit Chat for sponsoring the show. You can find links to all that stuff in the show notes. Send us an email, podcastatbookriot.com. What do we want to know about? Uh, who you're going to cast a stoner. Who you're going to cast a stoner and also the biggest snot bomb yeah. you've ever read. We were asking for that. Hashtag um, five alarms, not bomb. I think we're mixing metaphors there, but that's okay. This is our hashtag. We can do what we want. Uh, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts if you want. That that would be a nice thing for you to do. You can find show notes to this and all back episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. And uh, we'll be back next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.